John Fox, and welcome to Startups, a podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs and learn how to turn great ideas into successful companies. In this episode, we focus on a two-year-old startup in Spain called Linkcase Industrial Solutions. They've developed a high-tech inspection system that uses electromagnetic and vision techniques to help blue-chip companies like Ford and General Motors improve quality and reduce costs up to millions of dollars per year. My guest today is Iban Irabarin, founder of Linkcase. We cover a lot of ground here, everything from how he found the technology, recruited a team, how they went about winning over their first customers, which includes, as I mentioned, some huge names in the automotive industry. Really valuable advice for any startup targeting large enterprises. Let me know what you think of this episode. You can tweet me at John H. Fox, leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or email me at john.fox at siemens.com. Iban, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, John. Let's start by talking a little bit about your company. What's your what's your elevator pitch for Linkcase? Well, the thing is that still today, many manufacturing processes in, in the industry are inspected by destructive methods. Typically, I'm talking about processes that alter the mechanical properties of the material. It can be a hardening process, stamping, grinding. Um, so with these processes, to put it simply, the manufacturer must take one part, cut it off, and then look inside to decide if uh, the part is okay. But obviously the part is no longer valid. And then the manufacturer has to decide that the next, say, 1,000 parts are good due to process stability. But uh, this producer is taking a huge risk. What if something went wrong in between those 1,000 parts? They can't control that. And this could be solved if you had a means to inspect the parts without destroying them. And that's what we have at Linkcase. Uh, it's a set of electromagnetic techniques that allow us to correlate uh, an electromagnetic response of the workpiece with its mechanical properties. In other words, we magnetize a part and we read an electromagnetic signal. Then we decide that this is a good part. Then we take another one and see that the part was bad, for instance. We forced the bad part. And then from then on, we measure all parts and compare them with our model. And that adds to a turnkey solution, a machine that can uh, inspect all the parts of the customer. And now, all of a sudden, the, this manufacturer has the capability to inspect not one part out of 1,000, but all 1,000 parts out of uh, 1,000. So that's what we do at Linkcase. So talk about your customers. Uh, what industries are they in? Where are they located? Where Where is your company located? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, starting with the last question, uh, our company is located in, in San Sebastian, a city in, in the Basque region in northern Spain. It's a very industrial area. And our customers, well, this is applicable to many industries, but we are focusing on the automotive industry to begin with. Uh, partly due to our background uh, as suppliers of machines for the automotive industry. Um, we are a global company in that regard, and uh, we are already speaking and developing uh, products with companies like Ford Motor Company, General Motors, uh, FCA, Renault, or even Daimler in, in Germany. So it's a pretty interesting concept and pretty, I think, I guess for the industry, pretty revolutionary. Like you're talking about going from, I guess you'd call it like statistical quality control to something much more comprehensive, right? That, that's absolutely uh, right. Um, you know, 
the the headlines are automotive is spending this and, and this much money on quality control and and the requirements are more and more demanding and it is true uh, a lot of money is being invested on uh, quality control but still today there are many gaps and these gaps cause industries such as automotive to make some uh, controls statistical exactly as you said uh, if the process is very stable well, they rely that, as I said, 1,800, this many parts will be good and uh, nothing will happen. What we propose with this method is don't rely on process stability or, or any other thing. Be sure that all parts are good by having a traceability of one. You check all the parts and don't have to be hoping for the, for the best. Right. And when I, when I think about the value proposition of, of your, your product and, and your offering, a big part of it, I would think, is like avoiding the cost of failure, right? How do you quantify that or how do your customers quantify that value? Well, um, it's fairly difficult when uh, nothing's happened in the last month. And it's extremely right. easy when they have had an issue. Yeah. <laughs> we had we had a customer, uh, a European customer last year. Well, they had a they had an issue where they had to recall some uh, engines because one engine component uh, happened to be faulty in I don't know uh, I think eighty five uh, engines. Well, they estimated the the cost of the event at seven figures uh, over one thousand one hundred excuse me over one million euro. When that happens, all of a sudden, everybody at the plant level and even management is very interested in uh, having a means to avoid these kind of nasty surprises. When, when this doesn't happen, there is a way uh, to justify the investment in our machines anyway, and that is the pure cost of inspection. Today, uh, depending on the, on the component we are talking about, but um, plants have maybe one person uh, in each shift just checking parts. They check them by uh, destructive methods and, and that costs them money, but still they have one person dedicated to, to these checks. If we can make this checking and in this inspection automatic, um, well, the business case maybe, and, and more often than not, is very favorable to buying our machine. Within 18 months, 24 months, uh, you can uh, justify the cost of the solution. And are there um, other cost savings um, that you enable, like perhaps the process itself, the, the quality process? Yeah. Um, there are, well, apart from the fact that the, the these companies are destroying parts and then they have right. people working on these checks and then they are still exposed to failure. Uh, many of the destructive methods imply some sort of um, polluting, contaminating processes. For instance, uh, there are what what are called uh, mag magna flux systems, which are basically uh, um, some uh, ways of putting the part to a bath with magnetized water so they can check a crack or, or whatever it is. Um, this method has one big problem. Um, the first one is you put uh, water with a liquid that is uh, contaminant. So you have to uh, 
take care of, of a contaminated water. But then again, uh, on top of that, uh, that system is not particularly uh, user-friendly. Um, it can harm the eyes of the operator. So usually they have to uh, rotate uh, the operators every 20 to 30 minutes because uh, they're not allowed to be exposed to this uh, liquid any longer than that. So there are other costs that are not just the 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 dollar value, but you know, environmental and and health and health and safety related. Right now, this I mean, it sounds to me like not not being an expert in the quality control of automotive parts, it sounds to me like this is like an idea whose time has come. But could you give a sense of how widespread is this technique? Is it something new? Is are the bulk of your you know prospective customers kind of doing it, we'll call it the old way versus the destructive way versus the new way. What's what's basically the um, the penetration of this this technique in, in that industry? Yeah, well, non-destructive testing as a broad discipline is, is not new at all. Um, I don't know, a, a CMM, a coordinate measuring machine is non-destructive uh, per se. But if, if we talk about uh, more advanced techniques, well, the technologies we are using, which are some specific electromagnetic techniques called uh, Barkhausen uh, noise emission, hysteresis loops, fairly technical terms, they aren't new either. Uh, I think Mr. Barkhausen uh, found this noise emission uh, in 1919, so 101 years ago, or maybe 1920. So <laughs> you wouldn't call that exactly new. Right. <laughs> and and we have mainly two competitors they've been running for 30 40 years so again not new but i think you expressed it very properly the time has come um it's not only a matter of having the technology it's a matter of using the proper algorithms to make a, the correlation between what you see from a magnetic standpoint and what you infer in terms of mechanical properties. Industry 4.0 has definitely helped uh, that. And I would say that everything fits in properly now much, much more than than it could have done in 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Got it, got it. So let's talk a little bit more about your products. So there is certainly a, a technology piece. There's an algorithmic piece. Um, perhaps equipment, uh, service offerings. What what do you offer in terms of products for your for your um, for your customers? Well, in in that regard, I I guess you could say that we are fairly fairly classical from the uh, business model. This is a model where we want to provide turnkey solutions to our customers. These are well, you can imagine demanding demanding clients. I mentioned yes. Ford, GM, uh, Chrysler. Right. Uh, the machine goes down by one hour. Well, uh, there is much money, uh, a lot of money involved. You miss uh, the quality control for one hour. Um, they, they, this hasn't been an issue because they were 
uh, checking parts with a statistical process. But at the moment, we enable the 100% check. They won't allow us to have the machine done for one hour. So it's it's fairly demanding. Um, yeah. it's, it begins with the technology. Obviously, that's at the core of the machine. But then we have a machine that we ship as part of a turnkey uh, solution. In other words, we don't anticipate that we will be building many machines uh, for stock, but we will be building them for a particular project from, again, FCA, GM, Ford, whoever it is. Um, but then the extra mile, the one that in our experience uh, defines whether you are a good supplier or even partner of, of this kind of uh, customers is the service you provide to, to your customers. Um, it is somehow assumed that everybody is going to make mistakes. Um, the proof is how you recover from those mistakes. So we have uh, service teams that we are building in different locations of the world. Right now we are concentrating in Western Europe and in North America. And then the other thing that we want to excel at is being able to proactively monitor our machines or our assets even remotely. Even before something happens, we want to be on top of our uh, machines. For that, again, Industry 4.0 provides uh, possibilities that were not there uh, not so much ago. I mean, one of the great values of, of startups is they're able to come in and kind of disrupt entrenched industry and, and bring improvements. So you mentioned a couple of sounds like fairly well-established competitors. Um, are you, is something about your product disruptive? What is your competitive niche? How, how you know, why you versus the, you know, the, the existing companies? Um, well, uh, we respect both both companies very much, obviously. Uh, yeah. In terms of technology, uh, they were the 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 beginners, the beginners and the and the pioneers. Um, however, I to find, finish responding to your prior question, uh, the market is huge. There is room for uh, more than three uh, competitors here. So what we think this will boil down to is probably. Uh, there will be niches where we are stronger and probably there will be niches where for whatever reason they have specialized and were not so strong. However, if I had to name uh, two areas where we think we are different and humbly, but uh, I have to say this better, is the technology that we have allows us to uh, check different readings. In other words, it's like if I were... Um, checking somebody's health. Well, I'm I'm reading the the amount of red globe, uh, globules, then the cholesterol, many many things, and then I decide what parameter is important uh, for to decide whether this person is going to fall uh, is sick from COVID, for instance. That's what we do with our technology. We read many magnetic and electromagnetic signals, and then decide which one is better for the uh, property we're trying to. To check, and in that regard, uh, without getting too technical, uh, well, we think we have uh, uh, an advantage. The other area that doesn't sound so um, cutting edge or so revolutionary, but is very real in the in the end of the day, is the one that I mentioned earlier: a service service orientation. We are all going to make mistakes. Our competitors are, so are we. The way to recover and to respond to our customers at the plant level ends up defining to a great extent uh, 
which which one of us is a good supplier or, a, or the better supplier. And in that regard, we come from this industry. We've been working for the automotive industry for quite a long time. And I think uh, we have proven to our customers that we have a, a strong dedication to service. So I think uh, that is going to make a difference for our clients, not only at engineering level, but mainly at the plant level. I think it's a good time to switch gears a little bit and talk about how you how you founded the company. Um, maybe talk a little bit about your industry background, how you got the idea, how did you and your team either develop or, you know, presumably license this technology, kind of the early days that led you to say, hey, this this needs to be a company. Yeah. Um, well, I personally have been working for my prior company for 17 years and, and, you know, these things that happen in life, the, the moment I thought I was going to retire there, something clicked and I decided to quit, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, midlife crisis, call it, call it as you wish. Um, but me and my colleagues, we have always been working very closely with uh, our customers. And I think that uh, our customers, generally speaking, are really good. We have uh, engineers and, uh, and plant personnel that signalize the issues and the challenges very clearly. I'm, I'm obviously generalizing, but we have m- quite a few customers like this. Uh, so if we have uh, enough um, calmness and if we listen closely enough, they give us keys to develop new ideas. And that's how we have been working in the past. So one of the things that we realized was that, that there was much more money and, and effort being invested in manufacturing than it was in quality control, despite all that is being said and done. Well, with, with that background or that situation, I personally came across a, a research center here in the Basque Country. Uh, they are, well, locally, they're very well renowned. And they showed me this technology. The, if you wish, it wasn't so refined. It was more uh, on a, a basic level, although it was much more than basic, but well, it, it needed to be landed, but they had this technology and they asked, well, what do you think could be done with this technology? And I told them, well, you know, um, I have a couple of customers that would probably be very interested in this. And I checked that with them. I asked, uh, do you think you would be favorable to a non-destructive uh, method for this and this process? And well, the answer was an absolute yes. Um, so we we reached an agreement. Well, it was me first, but then my colleagues who joined uh, uh, shortly afterwards. We joined. A, we made an agreement with these research centers. We have a, a license to to use the technology and to develop it, to land it. Um, that has been two years now, and um, well, it's been a two, two very eventful years. But uh, uh, today is the day where I can tell you we are fairly, fairly close from having the first success, which in in our world is the first project that probably means uh, that we are going to be established as uh, the benchmark or the standard for the inspection of, in this particular case, uh, crankshafts uh, for one uh, uh, automotive customer. That's terrific news. Is is that um, as evaluated by your customer or is that an industry um, designation? Well, no, that's, that's a one-on-one thing. That's, that's a, a customer. Um, we have gone through this process, uh, prior to this, which was, was another one of the reasons why we thought we could 
actually make this solid at a plant level. Uh, we know, I mean, generally speaking, but we know fairly well what these steps are. We first need to uh, get the technology validated per se, but then we uh, go through uh, a systems engineering exercise quite profound with that customer where uh, we discuss many aspects of the machine. It's a, it involves a process FMEA, a machine FMEA, uh, serviceability, maintainability, reliability, all these things. And, and once we reach an agreement on what the equipment should look like, and obviously uh, there has to be a commercial agreement as well, but then you may find yourself with not one cell, but all the cells for that customer. In other words, whenever they have a project for, I'm going to repeat the example, a crankshaft line or a, a crankshaft uh, inspection need, you are going to supply that machine automatically. So right. that's that's right. quite powerful for a startup like us. Uh, well, that's that's the the leverage is immense. Yeah, yeah. Um, um... I'm going to ask about like the early days of your, of your company, when you were kind of, you had this idea, you saw this opportunity, you saw where it might be applied to your, your customers. What was your relationship with your, your existing um, customers? Were they, were they open to the idea? Were they kind of already customers from a consulting basis? Um, I'm interested in kind of like the, you know, kind of the financial proposition. You made the leap. Uh, could you bootstrap with existing clients or, you know, how did you handle that? Yeah, well, uh, we, we've we been relying heavily on our existing customers because, well, picture this, new company, new technology. <laughs> if they don't at yeah. least know the individual, no yeah, I mean, well, that, that's, that's uh, quite difficult. So in a way, uh, we were um, relying on our reputation, if you wish, uh, for the fact that uh, we have uh, three out of uh, four partners in the company. We had been in sales in, in our prior uh, company as well. So we were relying on uh, the things that we have done, the developments we have uh, jointly uh, carried out with our customers. And the proposition was we can do the same. If, if you're interested, obviously, but we can do the same with this new technology. The basic uh, interest was there, I would say, almost by from everybody. Um, we knew, in our world at least, we knew that it would take at least two years be, between the starting point and the, the moment where we were ready to sell the first piece of equipment. So that was something that we... Uh, took into consideration when uh, founding the company, knowing that we will need funds for at least two years with virtually no sales. And uh, from then on, the process has been fairly similar to other processes we have uh, pursued in, in the past. It's, as I said, first um, validation uh, tests where we show that the technology can be promising. Then uh, in a way, we redefine the specs the, the specs from our customers weren't there because they didn't have the, the possibility to uh, conduct a non-destructive testing of this kind of process. So we kind of build these specs uh, together. And uh, then once uh, we get what some customers call the the change readiness, we move on to um, defining the machine. 
and then you have the complete solution. That's when you get what the, our North American customers call the implementation readiness. And from then on, you're ready to sell. Great. I want to ask about your team and also about the software you use. Um, but let's start with your team. You were kind of the, the, the first person, it sounds like, and, and the founder. How, how quickly did you expand and bring on different uh, people and, um, you know, build the company? Yeah, well, um, it, it was kind of funny because uh, I left the company on my own. Uh, I didn't want to uh, get anybody else involved. I knew this was uncertain enough not to offer a job to anybody <laughs> with the with the doubts and uncertainties that the startup would uh, suffer in the in the first months. But right. soon after I left my old company, two colleagues uh, also quit it, and and we started speaking, and they said that. And they wanted to join, to join the company as well. So uh, we reached an agreement and all of a sudden there were three partners instead of one. And then a fourth partner uh, has joined us uh, one year ago, I think, uh, also from the same company. Um, apart from that, obviously, we have a very tight uh, and, and close relationship with this research center that I mentioned. They're, they're called Fate. Uh, we have an agreement with them. They are shareholders of the company. They actually also contributed with, uh, with funding. And uh, we have this uh, licensing agreement. So in a way, uh, I think it's a terrific relationship with the center as well. Uh, in, in so that we are kind of... Uh, their landing team. We want to land their technologies. Not only this one that we're talking about, hopefully in the future we'll be able to to land other technologies because they work on, on many other things. At the same time, we have the best uh, R&D division that uh, a startup could have from the beginning. So it's a win-win situation. And and uh, now there are five of us. We we have uh, recruited another person and hoping to to still grow next year. So well, uh, we're fairly optimistic, I would say. As you build out this team together, uh, what are each of you specializing in, or is it uh, overlapping duties? That kind of thing. Most of us, as I said, three out of four people have been in sales in one way or another. So uh, I think this is more unusual than that in, in a startup, we have more salespeople than uh, pure engineers. I mean, we are all engineers by education, but uh, three of us uh, have been more selling stuff than developing stuff. And yeah. um, that was something that when my, my, my colleagues joined, we thought was perfect because, well, we knew that rather than have it perfect at the beginning, we needed to attract customers and, and understand what they were requesting and, and uh, the development w would come. So um, in a way, there is there are uh, fairly fairly distinct roles even within, within sales. Uh, one of us concentrates on uh, the sales of, I'm going to say the equipment, the turnkey solutions, uh, which is the machine and the, the technology. Another one of us uh, is more concentrated on proving to our customer that we are going to service the the equipment properly. So we are offering things that the plant will buy. And and, and then the third one uh, in that uh, team of three is myself. I'm a little bit 
doing this and that and, and well, then many of the things that uh, you never know you will have to do when you before you have founded your first startup to be to be honest. And then we have our engineering director who is uh, the responsible person for the machine design, the the development of the programming, the the testing technology and, and all of that. Great. One of one of the themes of this this podcast is is you know how are hardware startups like yourself, whether they're making equipment or products, how are they leveraging digital technologies uh, to succeed? Um, so let's talk about the software that you use, and by that I mean engineering, enterprise software. What what um, what tools are you using? Yeah. Well, um, to begin from the core. Uh, for the technology, uh, the inspecting technology, we use MATLAB and, and LabVIEW from National Instruments. Um, then we design our machines with uh, SolidEdge uh, from scratch, uh, from the beginning to the end. Uh, although we haven't begun with this, very soon we will be uh, developing our digital twin, uh, which we will use not just to... Uh, check the, the correct design and function of our machines, not only for our uh, quality controls, but also to provide training to our customers. This is something we've learned from our past company. Um, so, yeah, basically that's it uh, at uh, engineering level. Then obviously, well, uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, PLCs and CNCs and and. Uh, 95% of what we build is going to be Siemens. And we know this because uh, our customers uh, explicitly demand that uh, we use Siemens 840D, solution line, and, and solutions like that. Great, great. So great, great uh, Siemens partnership. So SolidEdge is, of course, software um, made by Siemens. And you're also uh, using, using the controllers um, you also mentioned uh, Industry 4.0, which is, of course, the big interest of Siemens. Um, can you talk about how how that concept fits into your your approach, and you know how how you market your, your company to your customers? Is it is it important, and how is it important to your customers? Yeah, well, um, it's very important, really. One of the things with Industry 4.0 is it's almost more difficult to differentiate yourself from the competition than actually doing something that is really 4.0. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that that you know a lot of vendors and companies just stamp. Industry 4.0 on everything, right? It's kind of a buzzword. Yeah. Yeah, it's the flavor of the month, even though it's been a very long month now. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I, I think I think we have a clear view on what we want to do relate regarding for Industry 4.0. To start with the the inspection system. Well, we could provide a machine that works perfectly well to our customer, and then we have a nice box that checks parts. But if we want to work the extra mile, well, we don't really want to sell a box to a customer, do we? We want to provide them with a good inspection solution. So the first step is connectivity. We have a device that is based on Siemens, actually, uh, where we can connect to the processing machines, the ones that, so to say, can generate the waste or the scrap. So we connect our system to their machines and get readings from uh, some critical parameters of their machines and check them against our inspection results. In the first place, you have a nicer traceability, uh, but then 
from then on you move on to uh, algorithms to provide predictive maintenance, meaning I'm going to give you an example. I have a crankshaft hardening inspection system and the crankshaft hardening machine is an induction hardening machine. I am getting a reading that the microstructure in this particular part of the crankshaft is changing. I'm going to check that the coil of that machine is not degrading because I think it is. And by checking that, I'm going to send a signal, a warning to the operator and to the maintenance team, which is in the end of the day, a predictive maintenance task. Do, stop the machine, check the coil and possibly uh, replace it with a new one before you gen generate a, a bad part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge difference. It's one thing, you know, reporting a failure and, and why it failed. It's a whole nother you know, ball game to, to actually predict it before it happens. Right. That's, that's the huge value. The, the only other thing that I have to tell you is I don't, if, if I was selfish, I would say, I don't really think we need that connectivity and that uh, predictivity to sell the machine. Uh, it's already a huge leap for our customers to be able to inspect all their parts and non-destructively. But uh, we think our mission is no mistakes. We call it a journey to zero, zero defects. And if we want to really help our customers, well, we have to get in the dirt. Uh, it, it's a muddy, this is, these are muddy waters, but we think we have to get in there. Makes sense. So let's wrap up here. Um, a lot of our audience are either startups, of course, or folks thinking about starting a company. Uh, what advice uh, can you provide to, to, to our listeners? Yeah, yeah, well, this is the million dollar question. Yeah, uh, exactly. We could speak. <laughs> I say the top one to the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, depending on the day, I could the advice could be don't don't start a company. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, but no, no, I'm I'm joking. Um, if if I had to give just one piece of advice, um, it would be this. It's it's nothing new, but it's brutally real. Prepare for a long trip, both financially, which is obvious, but uh, not always uh, followed properly, and also mentally. The overwhelming chances are that you are further away from your first sell than you think. And this comes from someone who's been in sales for the last 12 years. Uh, unexpected things happen. It's not easy to close the first one. So get ready because, uh, well, it can wear you out. Um, but if you're ready with that and, and you have a, a service or a product that is uh, of interest to your customer, which is, by the way, the first thing you should uh, be sure of. Uh, not You have something that is uh, good for other people rather than yourself, not not just the the uh, inner love that you have built for the idea. But if, if you have that and if you get ready for a bumpy road, I think it's, it's a fantastic journey. Uh, I haven't regretted this not one single day in the last two years. It's certainly inspiring. Um, you know, another theme as we've talked, I picked up on is just your relationship with, with your customers, even from the earliest days. I mean, I think you're doing something there, you know, quite special. Mm -hmm. We're trying. I mean, we have an advantage. We, we've been talking to these customers for, in my particular case, 12 years. So, uh, well, you, you end up getting a good understanding. The other thing you learn, and, and that's possibly another piece of advice, is uh, don't try to oversell 
from the beginning. Try to offer quick, simple trials. Uh, if, even if they have to be for free, well, sometimes you have to do it, but uh, something that will lower the resistance to the new technology, to the new service, whatever it is. And uh, if you do that, usually you're going to reduce your time to market, which is um, critical uh, when you're beginning. But that's a, that's a really good point. Could you give, I mean, without disclosing more than you'd, you'd like to, an example of where you, you went after a quick win and that, that helped you along the path? Yeah. Um, well, as I said, I think we have many, many good customers. If I had to name one, um, Ford Motor Company has been terrific for us. Uh, not only in this company, also in our uh, uh, old days in, in, in the prior company. Um, uh-huh. So in, when we founded Linkcase, uh, well, we knew who our champion would be in the powertrain manufacturing engineering team. So uh, basically we explained the technology to, to this person and then we explained to him that we thought this was the spot for the technology. Obviously he, he caught it very quickly and and then he started thinking about this in ways that we haven't uh, the the case here was can you send us some crankshafts in in, in this case uh, some parts so that we can test them for free we want speed uh, we managed to get those and and make some basic uh, technology validations uh, once we were uh, done through this uh, this person requested that we uh, showed him how precise we could be in one particular property. It doesn't matter which one. And he said, with this, I can, I, I can actually request some funding from, from my management. And so that, that was the step. And then the next step, as I said, uh, is not finished yet, but go through the systems engineering. And once we do that, uh, well, we could become the, the incumbent for this particular technology. All right. Let's let's uh, before we wrap up. Where can folks find out more about your your company? Uh, maybe maybe mention your website, uh, social media. Um, where can they learn more? I have to admit that we're not particularly strong in online uh, marketing. Something that we want to get better at. But that said, uh, they can find us at uh, our uh, webpage. That's that's www linkcase.com that would be l-i-n-q-c-a-s-e.com well they can find us on LinkedIn and we have some videos on YouTube they can if anybody for whatever reason wants some piece of advice from somebody who went through this process they can contact me on LinkedIn Uh, my name is Yvonne Irebarren and they can send us an email that's on our webpage as well. That's uh, info at uh, linkcase.com. Okay, terrific. And and we'll include those links in our in our show notes. Iban, thanks so much. Thanks so much for your, your, your time. You've been very generous. Thanks for your insights. Uh, really appreciate and, and enjoyed speaking with you. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity for uh, this conversation. It was really, really exciting and Uh, We look forward to doing more things with Siemens and SolidEdge. Same here. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're excited to bring you this story and more as part of our ongoing startups podcast series. Getting a startup off the ground is no easy endeavor. Office space, supplies, employee salaries, and overhead are all vying for a piece of a lean budget. We believe your software tool should be a solution, not a problem. 
If you're an early stage startup in business for less than three years, you can now apply to get Solid Edge product development software for free with no application fee. Apply today at www.siemens.com/startups. 